MacCast, Sunday, May 8th, 2022. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac news, hints, tips, informations, and all the going-ons in the Mac community. I think I said informations. That's a little bit odd. Okay. We're just making up more words. Anyway, I hope you're doing well. Hopefully you're having a great uh, day, weekend, whatever it might be. And uh, looking through the show notes, we got a lot of little stories to kind of cover this week. Not a lot of big things going on, I have to say, but some interesting stories. Nonetheless, we're going to get into some Apple Car stuff. We're going to talk about Thunderbolt 4 cables. We're going to get into some studio display things again. We're also going to talk about uh, supplier changes with Apple uh, and Q1 PC market numbers, Apple TV Plus stuff, and some AirPods news and information to get into. And that'll round out the news for this week. And then we're going to get into some of your feedback. I have some great app recommendations coming from some of the previous episodes of the MacCast where we were trying to help some folks out. We're going to talk about a DIY stuff display solution that was pretty interesting that came up this week. I want to give you my thoughts and opinions on that. And then we're going to get into some finder tricks, uh, maybe some lesser known ones that uh, not everybody knows. And that will probably round out this episode of the MacCast. So like I said, will should be a good one. I think we should just kind of dive right into things. First bit of news we have to discuss is the Apple Car Project. Bloomberg has noted that Apple has recently hired Desi Yuchkashavi Uh, who has been with Ford for 31 years, and she is joining Apple's self-driving car project. The former Ford exec was most recently the company's global director of automotive safety engineering and has experience with engineering design deliverables, also body interior engineering. So good addition to Apple's car team. The piece also notes that she is also very experienced with managing regulatory issues, which is something that Apple will need help with as they try to bring a car to market. Prior reports have also noted that Apple has has had a desire to really focus on vehicle safety, making their systems uh, more reliable, safer. They're planning on having more backup and safety systems than their competitors. So again, seems to be a nice hire to fit in with Apple's team. The car project is slowly but surely rolling along. As you know, it's been through a lot of changes. We've talked about those here on the MacCast. And uh, it's not really clear if Apple's actually wanting to build an entire car, self-driving car, if they were going to do systems for a while. It's now looking more and more like they are focused on getting a car to market and the time frame seems to be around 2025, most estimates are putting it at. So still several years off, and it's going to be a while before we really get into finding out exactly what it's going to be. Uh, but it seems like it's been going on for forever, right? <laughs> we're still we're still several years away at this point, but again, building out their team a little bit more this week. 
Apple has released its 3-meter version of its Thunderbolt 4 cable, and the thing is, the thing is dang expensive. It comes in at US 159 As far as I know, though, it is the only uh, Thunderbolt 4 cable that you can get that is about 10 feet long. This cable is the same style black braided cable that Apple ships with their new studio display. That comes in a one meter version. Apple also sells a 1.8 meter version on their website. That's $129 US, so still very expensive. But why so expensive? That's a big question I had and a number of people do. Charger Lab did a teardown and they try to justify the the pricing saying it's really about the build quality. Uh, They dug into the cable and it is a coaxial cable with 19 wires inside. So there's a lot of stuff inside that little, uh, little braided cable. The woven layer they say is dust proof and waterproof. And then under that, they say there's a layer of thermoplastic elastomer material, TPE, along with a thin foil layer for shielding. It has five tinned copper wires that are used for supplying power, and most of the wires, they note, are plated with silver and pure copper. There are, all, there are also apparently two white plastic covered wires that, were, that are used for USB 2.0 transmission, backward compatibility, and all that good stuff. The connectors on the end contain 24 gold-plated pins, and they say in those connectors are a myriad of chips, including the licensed Intel chip that manages the Thunderbolt connection. So all that goes together to uh, make the cable a bit more expensive, they say. It, it supports USB 3.1 Gen 2 data transfer at up to 10 gigabits per second, and Thunderbolt transfer rates at up to 40 gigabits per second, and of course can supply up to 100 watts of power delivery. So yeah, it's a really nice cable, um, but here's the thing. There are other quality cables out there on the market, and uh, you can get those as well for a lot cheaper. And I'm looking at OWC, one of my favorite suppliers. They have Thunderbolt 4 cables, uh, and I will have links to those in the show notes at maccast.com that have basically all the same specs in terms of uh, data transfer rates and support, 100-watt power delivery, all those good things. And here's the thing. They cost just $57 U.S. for a 2-meter cable, so quite a savings. Again, they don't have a 3-meter version, so if you do want a 3-meter cable, Apple's probably going to be your only supplier at this point, and yep, you are going to have to pay up. But uh, that cable is out now, and you can get it if you want it. Apple has apparently updated the Studio Display firmware again. We talked about this last week with the last beta of macOS. Now macOS 12.4 Beta 3 has been released, and there is a second tweak update to the Studio Display firmware in that. Good news is they continue to improve that camera on there. Biggest change in this version seems to be that they've improved the sharpness. Uh, The prior update seemed to be focused on reducing uh, noise, also giving better contrast and better framing. Overall, though, the images to me still, still seem to be a little bit washed out and a little bit flat from the images that I saw online. And that is likely as due to, as we talked about last time, 
the hardware itself. So Apple can only do so much to tweak that image. And while it's getting better, it may not uh, ever be the kind of best image. And part of it is they've got that wide angle lens. It's super small and they are trying to do the whole zoom in thing so that they can do center stage. What remains a little bit confusing though is why does the version in the iPad seem to be a lot better than the version that's in the studio display the assumption is it's the same sensor so it might just be that the you know the bigger image on that large screen looks a little bit more washed out and flat and maybe not as sharp but hopefully Apple's engineers continue to tweak that and uh, get that dialed in a little bit more because it is improving with every beta and right and like we talked about last time too this is a beta update so they still have some time to tweak it even further and apple seems pretty confident that they can do that so we'll have to wait to give final judgment till they actually release mac os 12.4 with the final version of this update Apple uh, suppliers have apparently changed the design on one of their products and uh, or one of their components rather. And as you might imagine, that has not worked out too well for that supplier. Uh, we've mentioned Chinese display manufacturer BOE on the show before, and they are just one of the many suppliers that Apple uses for OLED panels on their iPhones. Uh, they only provided about 10% of all iPhone displays in 2021 but still supply displays for the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 13. And they've also been hoping to become one of Apple's main phone dis phone display providers by 2023. I think they were even lined up to do more display production in 2022. But now it looks like they might have messed that, uh, that relationship up a little bit. According to the ELEC, they say that production from BOE had dropped significantly around February, mainly because there was a shortage of display driver integrated circuits. Uh, and a majority of those were going to Apple's main display supplier, LG. BOE decided to kind of fix the situation on their own, apparently, by redesigning the panels and expanding the circuit width of the thin film transistor transistors in their version of the display. And guess what? When Apple found out about that, yeah, they weren't too happy and told them to halt production. So, you know, Apple keeps a pretty tight control on their design specs and what they expect out of their suppliers. So I don't think this was probably a very good call on BOE, especially not going to Apple first to say they were going to do it to try and keep up probably with demand. So regardless, it does look like Apple will probably continue to use them as a supplier in the future you know, mainly because they like to have a lot of options. They also like the fact that having multiple suppliers puts pressure on their other suppliers for pricing. So it's probably not going to be too big a deal, but I have to imagine they got a pretty stern talking to, and I don't think they'll be making that mistake again. Do you? Here in the first quarter of 2022, it looks like the worldwide market for tablet and PC shipments is slowing down a bit. We have information this week coming from Canalis with a report that shows that worldwide tablet and PC shipments were down about 3% for the first quarter of 2022. Still, Apple was able to slightly beat the rest of the industry when it came to the decline. Apple saw... Uh, shipments at about 14.9 million iPads in the first quarter, which was down about 2% from 15.2 million in the same period last year. But Apple still 
was able to maintain and even increase their market share. They're at about 38% of worldwide tablet market share. Tim Cook had noted in the last quarterly quarterly results call that the iPad was hit particularly hard by by the supply chain issues last quarter, and so it kind of saw the most slowing of every Apple product. Now, Things get a little bit better when you look at the numbers for the combined desktop, notebook, and tablet market. Uh, basically, what Canalis calls the PC market. There, Apple did a little bit better with overall shipments being up 1% year over year. And Apple has actually taken first place in global market share with 18.8% of the market. And that means they beat out Lenovo. So according to Canalis, Apple is the largest uh, PC manufacturer shipping for the first quarter of 2022, which is pretty, pretty cool, even though, again, overall market trends have been down a little bit. Apple TV Plus isn't a huge player in the streaming space yet in terms of market share. And I think most estimates are somewhere around Apple having 3 to 5%, depending upon the numbers that you see. But Apple's focus on quality over quantity, I think, seems to be paying off for them, at least in terms of buzz and charts. There was a recent report from Just Watch that said Apple had two of the top five most streamed shows for the month of April. Severance came in at number two, and the new series Slow Horses came in at number five. So, you know, the fact that they don't have the most shows out there, but they seem to have the top quality and best shows out there is looking pretty good for Apple TV+, and it's garnering them, I think, a lot of buzz. So really not too shabby. You have... Things also like Coda winning the first uh, Oscar for Best Picture of any streaming service. So Apple beating out the other streaming services for that honor. And then really shows that have a lot of good buzz like Severance and Ted Lasso. Uh, And Apple seems to be getting the focus of the media. And that's ultimately, I think, good for their service. And that's even though they aren't really considered a threat to the big guys like Netflix or Disney. But Apple said at the very beginning, they weren't really trying to compete with Netflix and that they were going with uh, quality over quantity. And I think overall, they've done a really, really good job with that. I'm enjoying a lot of their shows. And of course, they continue to announce new stuff that is interesting and that has big names attached. And that is another way that they get a lot of buzz and attention. And so it's funny for their small size, I think, to see how much buzz they do seem to get. And, uh, you know, that's that's really fun and interesting to see, I guess. And they continue to make great shows. So this week they announced an upcoming film about the life of Michael J. Fox that's going to be directed by Davis Guggenheim. And something interesting with this show, Lorraine Powell Jobs is also signed on to be one of the executive producers of the film. So that should be an interesting project coming out. We don't know when they didn't give any dates, but they did announce the project is ramping up. Variety is also reporting that Apple is planning to release a new TV show based on the 1991 film, The Prince of Tides. That film, which was based on a book of the same title, starred Nick Nolte and Barbara Streisand, if you remember. Uh, The new adaptation adaptation for TV will reportedly be will reportedly excuse me be written by Tate Taylor and there's no word yet on when the series will be released or 
who is signed on to star in the series yet. And then Variety is also reporting that Apple has plans to to delay the release of the film Emancipation, which stars Will Smith. The film was originally supposed to be released this year, but won't come out now until 2023, according to the report. They say at least part of the decision for the delay is because of the controversy surrounding Will Smith slapping comedian Chris Rock at this year's Oscars. The story also does note, though, that the film is heavily into post-production and had been hit by several delays that have also created uh, a reason for Apple to delay the release. So it's not just that controversy, a number of things happening with the film, but if you were looking forward to that one, you're going to have to wait until uh, 2023 at this point. And then finally, in the news for this week, some news surrounding AirPods. Mark Gurman says that we still have AirPods Pro updates in the works, in the works something to look forward to uh, later this year. It's been about three years, and I hadn't realized this. It's been about three years since the release of the original AirPods Pro, so they are getting a little bit long in the tooth, and Gurman still expects Apple to have an AirPods Pro 2 update this fall. There's not a lot of new information about what features we might see, but we are expecting to see a redesign with smaller stems or maybe even no stems. Also, uh, potentially some improved sound quality and additional health features. And I think some folks are also hoping for improved battery life. German also then went on to mention that the AirPods Max may also get an update in the form of some new colors, not really any new technology, just new colors. And he is also hoping for a price drop, uh, and that would be nice as well, though he didn't mention anything else in terms of new features. He also didn't say what colors would be coming, but I personally, I would vote for something a little bit brighter. Uh, The pastel colors are nice, but I think it's time to go for a little more impact, and I would love to see a really, really cool, like, deep purple color, one of my favorite colors. So if uh, Apple did do new colors of AirPods Max, what colors would you like to see? Uh, Shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment, mattcast at gmail.com. And speaking of health features, German also recently claimed that Apple had been exploring potentially doing a grocery delivery and pickup service like Instacart that would be integrated into the health app and help assist with nutrition and tracking. It seems like an odd business for Apple to get into, but it, I guess, could tie in with some of their health initiatives. I don't know if they want to go there. Again, it looks like something they were just exploring. They haven't really moved forward with. He did say that in addition to uh, that for expanding its service options that Apple is really more immediately focused on two things. And these are a couple things that we had already heard about. An iPhone hardware subscription program. So you'd be basically renting or leasing, I guess, in a way, your iPhone. And it would be an option where you could get phone a phone every year and you just would make a monthly payment, I guess, for forever. Um, not so sure how I feel about that program, but I did throw it out to the community a while back. And several of you said you would be very interested in that kind of program. And I guess, you know, it's not too dissimilar from being on the iPhone upgrade program where you make a monthly payment and after every year you get a new upgrade by doing a trade-in. It would just kind of remove the trade-in element, I guess, uh, to a certain degree. You wouldn't have to go through that program. I assume you'd still have to trade in your phone, actually. Um, but anyway... That seems to be a program that Apple is focused on being an immediate addition to their services. And then also the other thing that we have mentioned in the past, that they're looking into a buy now 
pay later financing option for Apple Pay. And those buy now pay later things like Klarna and Bread and all of those have become very, very popular. I think PayPal has a pay in four option. Um, so it's not surprising that is something that Apple is looking to get into to expand its services offering. And as we know from the last quarterly results call, services are now, uh, I think, the second biggest part of Apple's business after iPhones, which is just kind of crazy to think about, right? Uh, and that's not to detract from other things like Mac sales and those sorts of things. It just is the direction that Apple is moving in. And who would have thought about that a couple years ago that, you know, iPhones and services would be the biggest parts of Apple's business. We live in an interesting time, that is for sure. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Uh, before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank my show sponsor, and that is ZocDoc. You know, finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Uh, will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you need them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free yes. And it's kind of this last scenario that gets me the most frustrated. You know, I don't get sick that often, but when I do, I want to see a doctor, and I don't want to wait forever. I don't want to wait for weeks I don't want to have to go online to my provider's site and find out that I can't get an appointment. And that's when I can turn to ZocDoc and find a doctor who will not only take my insurance, but will be available to see me tomorrow, not days or weeks from now. The ZocDoc app is free and it shows you doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors. You can get verified patient reviews and see what other real humans have had to say about their visit so that when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit and just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. That's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MattCast to download the ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast, ZocDoc dot com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. So last couple episodes, we had a couple questions about apps. People were looking for app recommendations. Actually, I think in one case, we were talking about photos and kind of cleaning up photo libraries. And I brought up a wish or kind of a, a suggestion for an app and couldn't really find one out there. And that was, it would be really cool if there was an app that sort of rated the quality of your photos, specifically something that could find blurry photos and maybe help you clean those up and get those out of your library. And I thought, you know, that should be almost something that Apple could build in with all of their AI technology. Um, and I found it surprising that there wasn't really a good recommended app out there. I think we found one online when we were doing some searching, but it had horrible horrible reviews. And so I threw it out to the community and asked, hey, does anybody know of an app like this? And Devin came through for us um, with an app that can find blurred photos in your photo library. And I can't believe I didn't remember this one because it's from MacPaw and it's called Gemini Photos. And it's uh, kind of a 
an offshoot. It's for iOS only. I think it's kind of an offshoot of their um, Gemini 2 for the Mac, which helps you find duplicate files and can find like duplicate photos as well. But this one is specifically focused on your photo library on iOS. And it can not only uh, identify duplicates, find similar photos, find videos and screenshots, notes, and other things to let you clean up your photo library, it can also find and identify blurry photos. Uh, And I tested it out and it's pretty neat. It helps find those things and then you can go through and you can pick and choose which ones you want to clean up and delete. Obviously, uh, be careful with something like this because you are deleting files out of your photo library. So you probably want to make sure you have backups before you try it. And also just be careful about what you are deleting. Make sure, you know, the app does have a really nice interface to give you a review so you can see what is going to be deleted. But again, I'm I'm always... uh, I'm always cautious with my photo library, right? Those things are precious memories for a lot of us. But it worked great, um, and it did find blurry photos. So if you're looking for an app that'll do that, uh, this one is one worth checking out. I will tell you up front, it is a subscription-based app. It's $19.99 a year. They do have a one-time purchase option, but it's $35, which, I mean, if this app really does help you clean up your library, um, I think it's well worth it. I think that's a fair price. Uh, there is a three-day uh, trial, which you can try for free, but you do need to sign up for the subscription, and it will auto-renew after three days. So you probably want to make sure if you're doing the free trial right after you purchase it or sign up for it, that you go in and cancel that from your uh, from your Apple account. So uh, make sure you do that if uh, you don't want to get charged after three days. But check it out. Gemini Photos from MacPaw. And MacPaw makes great stuff. We really like them here on the MacCast. The other thing that came up was uh, questions about banking apps. Uh, We had a listener who was looking to move away from an old version of Quicken, wasn't really interested in getting into the updated version, which does require a subscription and was looking for alternative apps, preferably something that could be used for free. And I didn't find any free ones. I did find some one-time payment ones. And so I threw it out to the community. I said, anybody know of a banking app that you like that is uh, free? And I got a couple of recommendations this week. One came in from David, and that is for MoneyWiz. And that's M-O-N-E-W-I-Z. I'll have links to these, all of these in the show notes at MacCast.com. All these apps and, and those sorts of things like I do every time. Um, but he says, uh, David says, hey, this one can be used for free free if you manually enter your data. Uh, If you want to connect it and sync it and and have more advanced features, there is a subscription option um, and you can do that. But David says, hey, I've used this for free uh, and I just manually enter my data and it works really, really great. So that's one you can check out, MoneyWiz. And then Bob came through and recommended a banking app called Debit and Credit. And he says, again, he uses this one manually as well. He describes it kind of like a checkbook app, or at least his use case for it. It does look like it will import files, uh, CSVs, QIF, OFX, and QFX files. I think those are all like the standard um, Quicken uh, file formats and open financial file formats and those sorts of things. Um, A lot of banks will allow you to download those, and then you can just upload this into the app. Um, This one also does have a premium subscription version, although I couldn't figure out which features 
that enabled. But typically, it it tends to be things like iCloud syncing and going cross device and and having uh, your libraries or having your uh, having the app synced up across uh, devices. So that's another one worth checking out. And again, I'll have links to it in the show notes at maccast.com. As you may or may not know, um, the Apple Studio display right now is, the, the new Apple Studio display, is about the only 5K display that you can get for your Mac outside of the LG Ultrafine display. And it is the only one that is designed and made by Apple. And plus, it has some nice additional features like the built-in speaker system, the uh, studio quality mics and that 1080p wide angle camera, although of debatable quality at this point, that does center stage uh, that you can really get today. Uh, the thing about it, though, as we've talked about, is it is also kind of pricey. It comes in at, what, $1,600, about $1,600 US, which is honestly just a little bit less expensive than the now discontinued 5K 27-inch iMac, which essentially, for the most part, had basically the same display and then came with an entire Macintosh attached to it, right? So a lot of people are kind of questioning, and I think rightfully rightfully so, uh, the pricing on this display. Still, it is a great display, and if you want and like all those features and you want a great 5 K display with the build quality that Apple can deliver, the studio display is it. But still, um, you know, a lot of people are probably wondering, <laughs> why can't I just take a 27-inch iMac and use that as my display? And back in the day, we could because Apple had uh, target display mode where you actually could hook, hook up an old iMac, but they got rid of that feature for whatever reason. I guess they don't want people using iMacs as their display. But guess what? That didn't stop YouTuber <laughs> Luke Miani. Uh, he actually came out with a really cool project this week, and it's over on YouTube. He did a video on it, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But he said, hey, you know, there's got to be a way to take a 27-inch 5K iMac and turn that into a display. And he did figure it out, which is really, really cool. So I wanted to talk to you about it and see what you think about it. Um, it, it it's an interesting project. And basically what he did was he found a donor uh, in this case, 2014 27-inch iMac, which was fully functional, found it online for about 600 bucks, which is a pretty, pretty good price. Um, I think the display is not one-for-one one with the current Apple Studio display in terms of specs. And I think later models, I want to say, of the 27-inch iMac had a little bit higher quality display. So if you can find a later version, it might even improve the quality a little bit. But hey, he started with this 2014 at 600 bucks. Basically then, gutted the entire system except for the display and then went online and found a uh, display adapter board for about $179 US, threw that in there, added in a USB-C webcam uh, to replace the web camera that was in there. So I think a 1080p uh, webcam and then ran all of that stuff and cabling through the RAM access door, which proved to be a convenient way to get things in there and didn't have to do any soldering, any like fancy stuff other than taping in some components, obviously uh, getting the display apart or getting the iMac apart 
to just separate out all the components is a little bit tricky, but hey, they've got good instructions over at iFixit, and you can get the iFixit uh, kit to reseal up the display because you do have to kind of get through the adhesive and stuff like that. Um, but for all in at just over about 800 bucks, he basically built what amounts to an Apple Studio display, right? You still have the build quality of Apple with the uh, the iMac. It's, you know, a little bit different shape, a little different bit different style. But really from the front, other than, you know, the chin at the bottom, it's essentially an Apple Studio display for about half the price, uh, which is really, really amazing. And plus, in his case, because he started with a fully functioning iMac, he could even probably resell some of the components like the logic board and, and the RAM and some of the other bits and pieces and even recoup even more of that money. Um, so his was fully functional. You could probably also start with, say, a 27-inch 5k iMac that has a working display but maybe a dead logic board and get it even cheaper than the 600 bucks that he started with uh so i thought this was a really interesting and cool project i'd be curious to know uh what you think about it is this something you'd be willing to maybe fire up and try or are you more like me and just think ah, i'd rather just not have the hassle and find a really good 4k display uh, that's in the price range that I'm looking for. Uh, whatever whatever you decide, again, I think this was kind of a cool little project and I wanted to point it out this week uh, in case you missed it. And uh, you can, again, find links to this YouTube video over at maccast.com in the show notes. And then finally for today, I wanted to kind of get into something that uh, I, I don't talk about too much, and that is the Mac Finder, right? The Finder is kind of like our workhorse. It's the main interface for our Macs, and I think we kind of just take it for granted. There's a lot of stuff in there, though, a lot of cool little tricks that I think you may or may not know. Some of these are pretty common, maybe, or well-known, and I think others are maybe not as well-known. And if you don't know the trick, then, um, you know, you don't know about it. <laughs> so I thought I'd go through some of my favorite kind of hidden or lesser-known finder tricks. And hopefully you learned something from this. And I'm hoping that by sharing some of mine with you, that you'll share some of yours with me as well. So uh, one thing that I think some people don't know about is the fact that, you know, you can move menu bar items around in the menu bar. So a lot of apps put little icons up in that upper right hand corner. Um, most you can actually move around. Not all of them, things like the date and time, that's fixed, but other menu bar items you can move around. So if you don't like, you know, where the sound menu bar item is or one of your third party party menu bar, menu bar items is, you can actually move it. And the trick for moving it is just to hold down the command key when you click on the icon and then you can drag it around and simply move it into a new position, put it where you like. So that's pretty cool. Um, if you're like me, another one is sometimes you might not be able to find your cursor on the screen. You get it into a weird spot and you can't kind of figure out where it is. Uh, for this trick, you do need to go into uh, system preferences, into accessibility, and uh, click on display and then click on the pointer tab. But what you can do is you can check on an option that says shake mouse pointer to locate. And if you have that turned on, what you can do is when you shake your mouse or 
you know, wiggle back and forth on your trackpad, your uh, pointer will grow in size and become really big on your screen and help you find it. And uh, I have to use that one, I think, more than I'd like to like to admit. Um, another really cool trick is, did you know you can easily tile your windows on your Mac built in without any third-party software? There's some great third-party apps for this, like Moom. Um, but built in is kind of a simpler version of this. If you just simply hover over the green stoplight icon in a window, you will get a little drop down menu and you will see options to tile the window to the left side of the screen or to the right side of the screen. And basically you can create a split screen scenario with like that pretty easily. So what happens is you hover over it. If you choose, say, uh, split or tile to the left side of the screen, what will happen is that app will move to the left side of the screen and then it will show you the other available apps on the other side and you can select one of those and it will pop up on the right side of the screen perfectly split in half so you can have uh, both apps open on one screen. It kind of goes into that full screen mode. To get out of it, you can click the little green icon in the window again and that will take it out of tile and full screen mode and uh, back to normal. But yeah, built into macOS, you can actually just tile your windows if you'd like. Another cool one is if you want to see hidden files in the Finder, uh, you can type command shift period and this will toggle hidden files on or off inside the Finder. So there's a lot of like hidden files built into the operating system. Uh, this is particularly handy if you're like me and you're a web developer and you have to actually get into some of those hidden folders uh, to do things like the SSH folder. Um, I will say be careful with this one because many of the hidden files are used by the system or by apps and you really don't want to move or delete or mess with them too much. Um, but if you just need to get in there and kind of look through things and poke around, this is a handy little tip. So command shift period. And again, that will toggle hidden files on or off in the finder. Another cool one is to get a list of emojis. There's a little emoji menu, so you can find all your emojis and you can actually search it. Uh, for this one, all you have to do is press Control, Command, and the space bar, and the emoji menu will pop up. So I use that one uh, quite a bit as well. And this works not just in the Finder. It works in a lot of apps. Almost anywhere you would do uh, text entry on your Mac, you can use that one. Uh, many of us know in the Finder how to copy and paste a file to uh, copy it from one location to the other using keyboard shortcuts. Uh, Command C, right, for copy. Command V for paste. Um, but did you know there is actually a way to move the file instead that's pretty easy? And that's just adding the option key to the paste command. So if you command hold down command plus option plus V when you paste, it will actually move that file in the finder rather than copy it. So if you need to take it from one location to the other, this is really handy if you have to go, you know, several layers deep in your finder. Uh, so you don't have to do, you know, the whole drag thing. I do use the spring loaded. I guess this would be another tip. Um, maybe people don't know that you can do the spring loaded 
folders. So if you're dragging a file in the finder and you hold it over a folder, that folder will pop open and then you could do that again and again and again and you can uh, you could move your file that way. But an even easier way is just, you know, command C it. So start to copy it and then move to the location where you want to move it and uh, do command plus option plus V and that will move the file rather than create a copy of it. And another handy one, I guess, related to this uh, keyboard shortcut for moving files around in the finder is command plus delete. So if you click, select a file and hit command plus delete, that will move it to the trash. Um, just be, again, careful with that one because you don't want to delete files accidentally. But that, that one I use quite a bit too. Another one of my favorite features, and I, I think this is pretty well known, but sometimes I show this to folks and they didn't know this existed, and that is Quick Look in the Finder. That's been around for a long time, but uh, many files in the Finder, if you select them and then just tap the space bar, you can get a preview in the Finder of that without even having to open the app. And this is particularly handy, I think, for things like PDFs or Pages documents, or Word documents, Excel, PowerPoint. Um, you can get a preview. You don't even have to open the app, and you can even flip through like an entire numbers or uh, numbers document or a keynote presentation and uh, not even ever have to open the app. And it's really handy with images. You can do multiple images and get like a little photo gallery. So if you select a whole bunch of images and hit the space bar, I just really, really love Quick Look. And even third-party apps will have support for it. So play around with that one if you haven't, haven't done that. And then uh, the last one I have for you is another one. If you use the column view in the Finder, um, you can quickly mark up a PDF file by selecting that PDF in the Finder in column view. And then in the little preview column, you'll see a button for markup. And if you click on that, it will open up that file for marking it up so you can put annotations and notes and things like that on it without even having to open up the preview app and it's really handy for like annotating screenshots again as a web developer it's something i have to often do to kind of share uh, bugs and and those sorts of things with somebody who i'm working with and so i find that really really handy um you can also for different types of files in the finder do a similar thing in column view you just select the file and then hit the little dot 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 icon and many files have additional options uh, a big one is like images you can do things like rotate an image without opening an app you can convert an image to a different format so if you need to go from a png to a jpeg or something like that you can do all of that in the finder without even having to open up a third-party app. So there is a bunch of little cool tips and tricks for doing things in the Finder that you may or may not know about. Um, but like I said, a big part of me sharing these with you is I want to find out if there's some, some that uh, I haven't mentioned here, maybe I don't know about. So if you have a favorite little Finder trick or tip or hint, uh, shoot me an email or even better yet, Record it up as a quick audio comment, and we'll try and share it on a future episode of the MacCast. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. 
gmail.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Twitter. Uh, or I already mentioned Twitter. Or <laughs> find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But with that, that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. 